Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow tonight, and we're breaking down the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 from Atlanta Motor Speedway. We also had the NASCAR Xfinity Series race on Saturday, as well as the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race on Saturday. Two great events. It was a lot of fun to watch those races yesterday, but today we're going to break down the Cup Series event, which started at about an hour. It was delayed about an hour, um, and it turned out to be Kevin Harvick's 38th career victory uh harvick has atlanta figured out um he came from the back today overcame adversity which had you know he had a problem with his his air gun on the pit stop uh everything seemed to be going kevin harvick's way though i mean the car he just has this place figured out it's amazing what he's done here at atlanta motor speedway he's got this place figured out no matter what um and everybody gets his notes everybody can see the things he's seeing um everybody can see uh you know, his, um, his, where, where he breaks through the corners and everything. So it's not a secret what he's doing. You know, it's just, it's the feel of the race car. And, and he's the only guy I see, you know, when you look at the practice time yesterday, I think these teams go out there and they try and put the fastest lap down all the time, no matter what. And, you know, it, it's, you look at Kevin Harvick and he would think he was 13th quick. And his 10-lap averages weren't great, but he, he focused on 30, 40 laps into a run. And that's really where it paid off for him. Um, and, you know, that, that's where I think when you look at Kevin Harvick, where he's really uh, – everybody kind of looks at it and says they know the feel he wants at this race car, and he admitted it today in victory lane. You know, it's – it was great getting into this race car and, and knowing that everybody knew that they had to beat our car and uh, just really, really happy with everything that we've done at Stewart Haas Racing over the last five years. And this is a great start to getting ourselves in the playoffs and doing everything that we need to do. Overcame a lot of things today. Uh, got a late race restart that we that we drove off and, and won the race with. So there were so many demons that seemed to haunt us here for a long time. But the coolest part was being able to try to replicate that, uh, that first win. Uh, celebration it was an interesting celebration for kevin harvick today um you know kind of one of that made me scratch my head a little bit i i guess when he thinks of atlanta motor speedway he's got a lot of great memories there it's his first career win it's a win that meant so much to that a whole entire team when he won there back in uh 2001 he beat jeff gordon by a little bit today was a little bit more dominant i would say um but it was kind of curious because you sit there and go well harvick's not really an emotional guy uh, when he wins races, Dale Earnhardt Sr., um, you know, he doesn't drive that car anymore. He's not even in a Chevrolet anymore. So you had to wonder why he was doing the three out the window. But I guess that's what Atlanta means to him. Atlanta means a lot to him. It's where he won his first race. So uh, he talked about it in Victory Lane about the tribute to Dale Earnhardt Sr. I'm just so proud of everybody on our team. Um, you know, that's, that was the first win in my career, and to be able to do that and pay tribute to, uh, to Dale was, was pretty cool. I've been waiting a long time to do that. We've had so many days where we could do that here. Yeah, and there, there has been. I mean, Atlanta, it's, it seems like the track that Harvard could never win, but he was always dominant. And really, since him and Rodney Childers got together, it's been an unbelievable uh, 
an unbelievable run for Kevin Harvick since Rodney Childers and him have, have paired together. And, John, I just find it amazing. With all the data and everything these teams have right now uh, access to, Kevin Harvick still has the line figured out, still has this Atlanta track figured out where, you know, he just knows how to get around this place better than anybody out there. And today he proved it again, had to come from the back because of an air gun situation. And that seemed like no problem. It was kind of like, okay, that's fine. We got the best race car out here. And he went out there and dominated the race. Just an unbelievable run for Kevin Harvick today. Harvick was able to do whatever he wanted to in that race car. And everybody just kept going. You could hear it in Gordon. You could hear it in Daryl. You could hear it in Mike Joy. You could hear it in Larry McReynolds. You could hear it in all the pit guys. It's just a matter of time till Harvick was coming up and just kicking their butt. They could do anything they wanted to in that car. And I think what it, where you really see uh, the four team coming together and this dominant performance that they had in Atlanta is as dominant of a performance as they had last year in Atlanta, except they got caught in a pit road issue at the end of the race last year. That didn't happen this time. But you look back to Texas last year when Harvick won the mile and a half there. And because Truex won everything that you could ever imagine on a mile and a half. And, and last, last year at Texas, it was the first time when Harvick blew everybody away on that restart that we saw anybody just come up and pass Truex. I didn't see anybody getting close to passing Harvick today. The only time anybody really passed him was whenever they were doing the pit, um, this fuel strategy to try to do it in two pit stops instead of three. I thought it was just mm-hmm. an unbelievable performance. And like you said, Harvick has a line there. If you think about it, he's one of the few guys who goes to the bottom in turns one and two. A lot of people run up high in one and two and down low in three and four. Harvick is bottom feeding the whole race. And that's what gets him where he wants to go. Because, I mean, you look, everybody else is running up top in one and two, and Harvick's just buzzing by on the bottom. He's able to go where nobody else can. Do you think it's a matter of him saving the tires? I mean, I always get fascinated by him at this track because, like I said earlier, and I don't know if you heard me, but it seems like everybody in practice goes out at Atlanta, and this is one of the old-school racetracks where the tires really wear, and they try and and lay on the fastest lap. You know, when you look at the board, they say, oh, I'm fifth, I'm good. Harvick yesterday, and I don't know this for for a fact, but I looked at it yesterday just to see where he was uh, speed-wise. He was 13th quick around there. On in in the actual one lap fastest time, and you kind of sat there and you said 13's not great, you know that's really mid pack. But I think Harvick focuses on the car, what it does 30 laps, 40 laps into a run here, where a lot of teams don't do that. They don't make a run that long, and he just went out there today. And, and that's my question: is what is it? Is it the fact that he's got a line he can keep the car in the bottom, or that he can sort of save his tires and not run as hard? Not going to, you know, we, we hear everybody say he lifts going into turn one. Is that, does that save his tires so much to where you look at it and you say he's not driving the car as hard as somebody else might be, braking as hard, he kind of lets it roll and he saves his tires, and that's where his advantage goes, especially late in the run. What is it that he does so good here? I think one of the things is he goes where the grip is. And if you're going to run the bottom, it takes a lot more to – turn it tighter, which you do on the bottom, than it does to roll the top, because a lot of times rolling the top, you can get the gas earlier, and you can brake less, because it's just something you do. You let off, you're able to roll the top with less issue. Harvick, for some reason, and they said he he lets off the gas a lot earlier than everybody else. 
where he's way before going into turn one, he's letting off and rolling into turn one and saving his tires and making sure because the more you turn, the more the faster you are with your turning, the more friction is going on your tires, and there's a better chance that right right front's going to go on you. If you're dropping down your speed earlier and then picking it up coming out of two, I'd rather have the uh, the movement coming off of one and two than I would going into it because if you have so much issue going in, you're ended up losing time because you keep busting your butt, losing your tires. It's just that hard. Yeah, and he talks about his love for Atlanta Motor Speedway and how he gets around that place so well. For five years, it's been so fast at this particular racetrack and a lot of other ones, but um, I love racing here, and it's uh, good to be back in victory lane. Finally, it took a while. Yeah, and it's amazing he didn't win at a, a cup race there till, since 2001 because he's been so good there. And yesterday, he dominated the Xfinity Series race there as well. Uh, that was an, an impressive run there. I mean... It just seems like no matter what he runs in, um, Harvick's great at Atlanta. And I want to touch on the Fords here, John. Listen, this is a, in a manufacturer a lot of people kind of looked at and said, well, the Chevrolet's got a new body. Toyota's body was better last year than they were um, than the Fords were. And I think a lot of people expected the Chevrolets to go out and really have a solid day. They really struggled, especially the Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolets. I mean, I don't think Hendrick Motorsports had a car in the top ten for you know, very little part of the day. We saw Kyle Larson really be the only Chevrolet up there in the top 10. A very disappointing day for Chevrolet. Toyota was okay. We saw Truex worked his way up from, from 36 to the front in stage one, but they had some issues as well. They weren't the dominant car of the day. It was really Kozlowski. It was really uh, Harvick, the two really, and, and Kurt Busch at times too. The real two or three dominant cars of the day, all Fords. What do you have to say about the performance of Ford today, John? Really shocking considering that a lot of people expected this manufacturer to struggle here uh, on these mile and a half tracks in 2018. Actually, I think I, it was pretty much what, whenever we talked on uh, Monday night last week, I think this is what we were talking about. I said flat out at, uh, or was it Wednesday night, whatever night we did the show last. I mean, they all blur together for me anymore. I said, whoever wins in Atlanta is going to be a veteran. Someone who can take care of their tires. I, very rarely do you see somebody out here who, doesn't know what they're doing and going into Atlanta fresh and coming out winning. Somebody who's a veteran wins in Atlanta. Johnson's struggles surprised me. But you look at the front, the guys who were in the front. Boyer's good at car control. Keselowski has turned into a heck of a great race car driver. I mean, even though he's a cup champion, he's still young in the field. I mean, he's in his early 30s. Logano knows yeah. what he's doing. Uh, Harvick is great at what he's doing. Kurt Busch knows how to get the car around. He knows what he wants underneath him. Right there's the five guys who've been up front. Denny Hamlin tried to do a strategy move. Um, it almost worked. Um, I mean, Chase Elliott was running good for a while. He was on the same kind of strategy that Denny Hamlin was. He was trying to steal a race in his hometown. But I think you and I both said, and I know I said it last week, is um, – We'll find out what Chevy has with the Camaro whenever they go out on the West Coast way. Because Atlanta is so tore up pavement-wise that whatever you do on a regular mile and a half does not translate to Atlanta. Atlanta is how good can you manage your tires, how good you can get, can you get on and off pit road, and can you find the holes and hit the right spot when you're passing somebody. California, Vegas, Phoenix, whole different world whole different battlefield. We'll find out what Chevy has in store for him 
when they go out there. Chevy looked really good whenever they tested in Vegas. So it should be interesting. California does have a pavement where it's starting to wear out and making it racy mm, again. Good point. But I think we'll see what Chevy really has when they get to Vegas. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join Talking Circles tonight, to, talking about Atlanta Motor Speedway, the weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway tonight. And I'll give you a quick top 10. Kevin Harvick was your winner. Brad Keselowski was second. Clint Boyer finished third. Then it was Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr., Joey Logano, 6th, Kyle Busch, 7th, Kurt Busch, 8th, Kyle Larson, 9th, and Chase Elliott rounded out the top 10. But, you know, listen, there was a lot of, a lot of surprises today as far as I, I thought Eric Amarola ran a really good race. He ended up 13th. Uh, you know, he didn't finish as good as he should have. He really ran a good race. He was up in the top 10 for most of the day. Um, you know, Larson, Larson probably finished, should have finished a little bit better than where he did. But, you know, it was there was a lot of comers and goers, a lot of drivers who – we're strong. I like the the strategy move. You talked about Hamlin and Joey Logano on a strategy move, and, and Chase Elliott to a degree as well on a strategy move. Um, obviously, it wouldn't have worked out for Hamlin because when uh, the last caution came out, I believe it was for uh, Trevor Bain blowing an engine. When the last caution came out, um, Hamlin was already passed by Harvick, but he probably would have ended up second or third, ended up finishing fourth, but uh, still a nice move to get him some track position there. And that was really the only time you saw a Toyota lead a significant amount of laps was when Hamlin was in front. Were you surprised by Truex here, John, today? I know he started 35th, and he, but to me, that first stage, his, the first stage he ran, he, he was so good. Uh, they, they went through the field. There was no issue. It just seemed like, okay, here comes the 78 again, uh, you know, 2017 all over again. And all of a sudden, once he got to the top four or five, he didn't really move up very good. He had a pit road issue as well, but I was kind of surprised to see you know, the lack of speed from the 78 um, as far as where they were last year because they were just so dominant. Uh, I was just kind of surprised to see the 78 not go up there and lead some laps and contend for a win today. Uh, again, when it comes to Atlanta, Truex and Atlanta just haven't ever really gotten along very well. He's never pushed for a win there. He knew that Atlanta was something that was tough for him to deal with. Um, them not making it through inspection on Friday – um, put them behind the eight ball. I mean, they lost their car chief for the weekend. If they would have tried it again and missed and failed inspection a fourth time, they would have lost Cole Pern for the weekend. Um, so that's why they just put the cover on and said, okay, we'll come back Saturday and practice and we'll try to make it through and figure out what the heck was wrong. I just don't see Truex. They're going to have a hangover this year because, I mean, they were a really good team, but coming back, defending that championship is always tough as hell. And last year was a career year for Truex. I mean, he won more. He led more laps. I mean, Daryl Waltrip said it at the beginning of the season before Daytona. The last time there was a season like Truex had last year was 1992 with Jeff Gordon, where he won 12 races, led over 2,000 laps. Nobody's won eight races and led over 2,000 laps since Jeff Gordon. Yeah, and Truex had that career year. And I don't see that happening again. I see the field catching up to him. But one of the things you got to look at, the guys in the Ford camp, you look at Stuart Haas Racing. Last year, they struggled because they were completely still returning over, going from Chevy to Ford, trying to get their chassis built, trying to get the bodies on it and everything. This year, they had a year with Rex Stump building chassis. They've had a year to build a notebook. They've had a year to massage on it and figure out what makes the Ford go. You still got Roush Yates horsepower that Doug Yates is building over there. 
I think Stuart Haas Racing and Team Penske will keep Ford doing well throughout the season. What worries me is Ford's talking about a new car in 2019. You saw it at the end of last year when Hendrick and all them were, when the Chevys of Hendrick were struggling in the second half of the year because Hendrick was developing the Camaro. Mm-hmm. Whoever's going to develop the Ford, whoever's going to develop the Mustang this year, whether it's Stuart Haas or Team Penske or Roush, whoever it is, it could be a, could be problems at the second half of the season for one of those teams. Yeah, listen, and uh, that's a very good point, and that's why I think maybe you want to hear in the, in the early part of the regular season, it's a good win for Harvick because he's locked into the playoffs, virtually locked into the playoffs. I mean, you know, you could essentially have more than uh, uh, 26 winners, but I doubt we, ha- we have that, you know, and, and you say, well, you want two wins and stuff like that, but I think he's locked in. I, I think, you know, multiple drivers have multiple wins this year. Um, but, you know, listen, I was surprised today by, by the lack of, of Hendrick Motorsports today. Um, I really was. And I, I, you, you talked about a veteran, you know, Jimmy started 22nd. They weren't fast out of the gate. William Byron struggled today. Uh, Alex Bowman was probably the second best Hendrick car other than Chase Elliott today. And Bowman ended up 20th. Uh, Byron ended up 18th. Johnson spun, had some damage. He ended up 27th today. Um, I know it's one race, and you look at it and you say, well, you're kind of making a big deal over one race. Uh, but I was just surprised they, they just weren't anywhere close today. I mean, it was you thought for sure that, well, the Camaro, they're going to be a little bit better. They'll at least compete. They weren't anywhere close. I mean, the only Chevrolet, like I said, really showed you some, some muscle was Kyle Larson early, earlier in the event. I think he finished one stage in the top five. But other than that, you know, Chase was pe- peeping in and out of the top ten for most of the day. But other than that, it was – not a very good day for Hendrick Motorsports or Chevrolet today. Um, you know, the 500 champion Austin Dillon finished 14th. Darrell Wallace Jr. did nothing all day. I know he got in an incident with uh, Rick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, and he ended up 32nd because of that. But he was a 27th place car before that. So, um, you know, Almondinger and, and, and the uh, uh, JTG Daughtery team really didn't have a lot of speed today. Chevrolet was just a little bit behind today, John. I was kind of surprised. And the thing is, when you look at the way they qualified, where Newman had a f- fantastic qualifying run right up there starting on the front row, and Newman wound up pancaking the wall early in the race as well. I think, again, um, Atlanta's one of those places where, you know how we say the restrictor plates are its own world and road courses are their own world? I think Atlanta is its own world because it is a mile and a half, but the pavement is so worn out and the racing is – Decent. It's been good. The thing is, Harvick went out and stunk up the show. There was a time where Harvick had a 17-second lead on second place. Mm. And, and it wasn't stages. because of strategy. It was during right. stages where they bunch them up after every 60 laps, and Harvick just goes out and blows everybody's doors in. I mean, there was one point where there were seven cars on the lead lap. Yeah, and, and that's what stages. That final caution they probably would have had five on the lead lap. I mean, Harvick yep. was blowing everybody's doors away. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I think he could have – I mean, today, with how good he was today, and we've seen him dominate races in Atlanta and Phoenix in the past, but with how good he was today, if we didn't have these natural breaks in the middle of races, I he honestly lapped. think he would have lapped the whole field today. That's how good he was. And, um, you know, with, with this new uh, inspection system that they have, the Hawkeye, whatever you want to call it, the – optical scanning solution or whatever they want to call it. You know, you know, the car, they're not they're They're as tight as they've ever been. 
uh, these race cars. So obviously it's something either Harvick's doing with, with the way – and, and again, it's amazing to me that they can – they give everybody now – you can look at the data, see where they're – see what they're – where they're breaking in a corner – you know, it's an open notebook for Kevin Harvick. You can see what he's doing. You can read what he's doing, and they still can't figure it out. That's why it's just – it's amazing to me. He's got it figured out. I think it's something with these tires, and I think they need to change the complexion because this used to be how we used to race. You know, with Darlington Warrior tires out, Rockingham Warrior tires out. Um, There's a lot of races that used to be like this. Now the only track like this is Atlanta, and I think teams, instead of looking and trying to get the fastest time, the fastest one-lap speed, Need to look at a run 30, 40 laps in, like Mark Martin used to practice all the time. I think that's what really is hurting these teams with Kevin Harvick because right now, him and Childers, whatever they're doing at Atlanta, wow. And, and it lets them now, you know, if they're going to have issues, if Ford's going to have issues at the mile and a half tracks, and lets Harvick and this Ford team sit there and go, okay, now we can figure out what we want to do here. We can go with an experimental setup at Las Vegas, you know, or at Fontana or down the road at Texas or Michigan, stuff like that, um, it, this win does a lot for them, for sure. I think what it does for them is it puts them in the position that Truex was in last year. I think now that Stuart Haas has had a year with Ford and that they've got a notebook built, and you give Rodney Childers some notes, and you give Kevin Harvick the ability to know what his car is going to do. I mean, he had an idea what he thought the Ford was going to do last year, but I mean, you heard him at the end of the season. He said, um, we were behind the eight ball all year long, and that's why it took them to Sonoma to get their first win. And they finally felt like they had their hands around the race car when they got to Texas last year. They come out of the gate. I mean, they ran well at Daytona, but everybody got caught up in the melees. I mean, that car was dominant all day. And you look at all four Stuart Haas cars. They qualified in the top 11. Like you said, Eric Almarola deserved a better finish because he ran better than he did. Harvick won, Boyer third, Kurt Busch eighth, and Almarola was, what, 13th, I think you said. So all four Stuart Haas cars are there. I think one of the things you're seeing out of it, and this is what I think might be the difference where you're seeing Hendrick Motorsports struggling and you're seeing Stuart Haas going crazy and running really well. Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer, Kevin Harvick always gave good information, but then you had your fourth car of Danica, who you got nothing out of. Eric Almarola is bringing information back to the uh, competition meetings on Tuesday. You look at Hendrick Motorsports, Jimmy Johnson has always been on his own little world when it came to Hendrick, but he also had Jeff Gordon giving him information. He had Junior giving him information. He had Casey Kane giving him information. In the past, you had Mark Martin giving him information. Now you've got Alex Bowman, who's, what, got a half a season in a competitive car under his belt. You've got William Byron, who's run two races in the Cup Series. And you've got Chase Elliott, who's run two years but hasn't won a race yet. So I think the amount of information being shared in the competition meetings at Hendrick Motorsports is causing problems compared to the amount of information being shared at Stuart Haas Racing. You see Stuart Haas's cars. Uh, running so much better this year than they did last year at this point in time because they've got a year under their belt. Hendr- and they know what the, the drivers know what they're going to expect out of the car. And it helped that Eric Almarola was driving a Ford last year. At Hendrick Motorsports, you've got two guys who really don't know a whole hell of a lot of what to expect. I think that's Alex Bowman's first race at Atlanta in a Hendrick Motorsports car. 
in a car that wasn't a BK Racing or a Tommy Baldwin car where it was competitive, and he didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, and, it, yeah, and you know, it's a learning. I no, think learning. Hendricks can go through a learning curve, no doubt about it. I think when you look at um, the young kids they got there, this is the first time they really brought in kids that don't have a whole lot of experience in a long, long time. Jeff Gordon was one, and it took Jeff Gordon a year and a, and a year and a half really to get to get his feet underneath him and really uh, be a, a the, the championship contender he was. And I think a lot of people thought Bowman uh, Byron, excuse me, would get into this twenty four car and take off. Um, he struggled today. And, and again, this is one race and you say, well, you're throwing one race. You're putting too much into one race and you're probably right. It's Atlanta. It's a different racetrack, but I was just surprised they weren't anywhere close today. Um, I was impressed by Brad Kozlowski, you know, Kozlowski, um, is not Kevin Harvick, Harvick at Atlanta, but he was right there all day long. He only, you know, Harvick had 56 points today and Kozlowski had 53 points. So he was right there on his heels all day long. Um, a great job by him uh, and a good job by Logano to get a top 10 out of it. Uh, very close top 10 for Ryan Blaney. He finished 12th. Um, so a decent day just out of the, those two four teams, really Stuart Haas and, um, and Dean Penske. Even Ricky Stenhouse Jr. had a pretty decent day. He didn't end up good. He finished 16th, but he was in the top 10 for most of the day. Uh, got a little bit of an accident with Bubba Wallace there. Uh, I think because when Bain blew up, he was behind him. But, you know, Bain struggled and a lot of the other smaller four teams struggled. But, very good day for Ford. Uh, what else did you see today, John, that caught your eye a little bit that, that made you go, hmm, was there anything else today at Atlanta Motor Speedway uh, in a Cup Series race that, that made you uh, scratch your head and, or made you kind of surprise you today in a good way? Um, the One of the things that made me go, hmm, well, other than how good Harvick was, was I think it was very interesting and really creative on behalf of Mike Wheeler and the Denny Hamlin team that they realized early there was no way in hell they were going to run with Harvick. So they tried plan B and they did the pit strategy. And it was funny that they, they put it on the broadcast that Joe Gibbs racing tweeted out that if things continue to run green, that Harvick would catch up with Denny Hamlin with 10 laps to go. If they pitted when they were, everybody was planning to pit. Well, what they made the mistake of is Harvey caught up with Denny Hamlin three laps after the pit stops and passed him three laps after the pit stops. So Harvick was already pulling away with 35 laps to go. It, it was creative on their part. I mean, they were a fifth place, fifth, seventh place car. Whenever they uh, tried the strategy, they wound up being a fifth, seventh place car, but they tried to find a way to win. And I think that was the interesting part that you see the creativity of a crew chief who isn't giving up and going to try to find a way to win. No, I agree. I, I thought it was, you know, you, you weren't going to beat Harvick regularly. I think uh, the 11 team knew that, I think. And they said, you know what, let's get a little bit creative here. And that's where these stages kind of backfire a little bit. You know, they add s- certain strategies in because these teams can, can sit there and, and play it in their minds. Okay. You know, now we have however many laps till it finishes. Let's make a two-stop race instead of a three-stop race where most of these teams and, and the logic behind that, if you're not familiar with it, is, you know, when you want to stop three times, those teams are looking at it saying, we want to get as many fast laps as we possibly can. We want to, um, you know, we don't want to go and, and run, you know, if we can run 33 laps as fast as possible, that's what we're going to do instead of 50 laps and not pit as much. Um, and Denny Hamlin and them said, well, we're not going to beat Kevin Harvick by pitting every 30 laps. You know, we know that. So let's try and 
beat him off a pit road, beat him on pit stops, and hope that something either happens to Harvick on pit road by pitting so much, or he speeds, or whatever, and we'll try and beat him that way by not pitting as much. But obviously, it was it was going to backfire for Hamlin because Harvick caught him anyway before the caution came out. That's how good that four car was, but he pretty much had everybody else outran. Uh, I don't know if Kozlowski would have caught him. I know Boyer wouldn't have caught him. I think he had a 17-second lead, Hamlin over Boyer. Um, so it was a very interesting uh, event at the end of that one, no doubt about it. Um, and a very interesting call by Mike Wheeler and that 11 team. And give credit to uh, Todd Gordon and the 22 car as well because they were pretty much on the same strategy. You didn't see a whole lot from Logano today, but a sixth-place finish, they'll take it go to Las Vegas. 917-889-8280 here, talking in circles. Clayton Coleman, John Harlow here with you tonight, discussing everything from Atlanta Motor Speedway here, including uh, yesterday's doubleheader. It was a great doubleheader event yesterday. I like, I like the fact that we have a doubleheader event, John. I think it's awesome. Uh, I think it's a it's, it's fun day. And we saw two races, as I said. The first one was an NASCAR Xfinity Series event. Kevin Harvick was driving the number 98 Ford for Biagi Dembesi Racing, with, who, which has, has an association with Stuart Haas Racing. And it was another dominant day for Kevin Harvick. He led 141 of the 163 laps ran yesterday. Logano and Christopher Bell were really the only two other drivers to lead in the event. Um, and they finished second and third. John Hunter Nemechek was fourth. Elliot Sadler, fifth. Justin Allgaier, sixth. Austin Sindrick finished seventh. Kyle Benjamin was eighth. Ryan Truex was ninth. And Ryan Reed uh, rounded out the top ten. And Jack Roush just forward. Um, a dominant event, no doubt about it, John. But what, was there anything you took away from the Xfinity Series race? I thought Hunter, John Hunter Nemechek got off to a little bit of a sluggish start. The first 40 laps there, he seemed all over the place. But he corralled himself, calmed down, and really ran a good race and finished fourth. What else did you see from the Xfinity Series race yesterday? Well, I just saw boredom. I mean, it was Harvick. It was Joey Logano. It was Christopher Bell. I mean, Bell was the only one who is a true Xfinity driver who was even sniffing the front of the field. But as Logano said post-race, it seemed like Harvick was just playing with us. We would get mm. to the point where we would be within two seconds of Harvick, and the next thing you know, we're five seconds behind. It's like Harvick ran hard enough to know that he was going to stay in front whenever somebody, whenever his spotter probably said, yeah, he's within sight. It's like, okay, drop the hammer. Here we go. And then he built up his lead again. I mean, it was all Harvick all day. I mean, it was a great weekend for Kevin Harvick. Um, he dominated both races. I thought it was an impressive run for John Hunter Nemechek. His first race in the Xfinity Series ever. Driving the same car that Kyle Larson ends up always running well with in Atlanta. And like you said, early on the race, I mean, he he struggled. He got into it with somebody. I forget who it was. And Custer. Custer. Up, who was it? Cole Custer. Yeah, he got in with Cole Custer early, and and Cole said, I mean, you heard Cole after the race saying, I don't know why we're racing that hard this early. And, I mean, it was probably first race jitters for John Hunter Nemechek. He's looking at it as, this is my chance to make something for myself. This is the career I've always dreamed of. I'm finally in equipment that my dad isn't uh, mortgaging the house for. He's in somebody else's stuff, and it's winning stuff. Um, so I think early on, it's nerves. I mean, he's also probably looking at it as, hey, I'm in that 42 car. 
But Jamie McMurray's getting a little long in the tooth. If I play my cards right and run well for Chip, I could be in that one car in the next couple of years. So, I mean, I think it was early nerves, but and it cost Cole Custer early in the race. But he wound up salvaging a great day for your first mm. race ever in the Xfinity Series. So, I mean, I'm impressed with John Hunter Nemechek. I always have been. He finds ways. I mean, whenever he was driving the truck, he was able to get more out of less than most people ever have. Oh, you're right, and he he's shown some really, really uh, a, a lot of talent in the truck series, no doubt about it. And you can understand the first race of Jitters, as you said, it's it's a Ganassi car. He's in a a, go, a very very good ride, um, and you're sitting there going, you're kind of nervous. And I think once the accident happened and got under caution, I think the crew chief and somebody, and I don't know this for a fact, but somebody might have gotten in his ear and said, "Hey, you got a long way to go. Relax." It could have turned out really bad for you, but it didn't make a good day out of it, and he did. And I give him credit for for corralling himself and really calming himself down because those first 30 laps, he almost got in a wreck with somebody else, too. I think maybe Bell he bounced off of, uh, and you were like, whoa. So uh, it was a little bit of a, of a scary first 30 laps for John Hunter, but once he, he settled down, he ran a really strong race. Another guy I want to give a call out to was Alex Labby. Um, a guy who runs in the uh, Canadian Tire Series up in Canada last year. Um, not a great ride he's in. He started 33rd, but he ended up 18th, uh, two laps down. Not a bad day for him. So I, I think he did a good job. And if he can run there all year, um, that, that's part of the learning curve. And maybe somebody will give him a shot next year as well. Uh, you know, Hendrick, uh, Richard Childress Racing, we didn't see a lot from them. They finished 11th, 12th, and 13th. They're three cars with Daniel Hemrick, Matt Tift, and Ty Dillon yesterday. So we didn't see a whole lot of them either yesterday, which was kind of surprising. Um, I thought we'd see a little bit better performance from Chase Briscoe, but again, that was his first race in the Xfinity Series cars, so maybe he have some learning curves there. He finished 15th and wasn't really contender for the top 10 all day, so those are a little bit of notes that I saw uh, from the Xfinity Series race as well yesterday, John. Well, one of the things, like I said, I mean, Christopher Bell, it was his first race Xfinity Series at Atlanta. Um, John Hunter checked his first Xfinity race in Atlanta. Um, same with Alex LeBay, same with, um, Matt, Tiff, well, Matt Tiff ran last year, but same with Chase Briscoe, same with, um, um, the guy who ran the 12 car. Austin Cindric. Yes. Austin Cindric, Tim Cindric's kid. You think about it, your first race in the Xfinity series and they're putting you out on a track that is high speed. And when you're on the pace lap, you're screaming for tires. So no matter what, your car, I mean, you watch Harvick as, as dominating as he was on that track. Whenever he's coming around the turn, he is on the edge of spinning out every lap. You see that tail get a little happy on him. But Harvick just knows how to get around that track better than anybody else right now. And he always has. I mean, that's his fifth Xfinity win at Atlanta, which ties Tony Stewart for the most Xfinity wins at any track of active drivers, which is surprising. I thought Kyle Busch owned every record, but <laughs> it, I mean, it was great to see some, there's actually records that Kyle Busch doesn't hold in the Xfinity series, but for those rookies to have decent days and come out with decent finishes. Yeah. Austin Sindrick ran back there. You talked about uh, Chase Briscoe finishing 15th. Um, to finish 15th in Atlanta in your first race in the Xfinity Series where you're really struggling to find any kind of grip, that's an impressive run. And we'll see what happens when they come out to Vegas and California and actually hit the regular part of the series where they really ha have a better idea of what's going on. 
and the first race jitters aren't there under their belts. Absolutely. And and once you get the race under your belt, you know, these kids will learn how to drive these cars, and uh, I think they'll be better off for it. Um, speaking of that, yesterday was a doubleheader. We had the Active Pest Control 200 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race yesterday as well. It was won by Brett Moffitt. Moffitt, who we've seen in the, in the Cup Series a few years ago, uh, was running for Red Horse Racing when they shut down last year. Gets the victory, his second career Truck Series win, won for Red Horse Racing at Michigan in 2016, I believe it was. Held off Noah Gregson at the end, and Johnny Sauter passed him on a late race restart. Ben Rhodes finished fourth, Matt Crafton fifth, Stuart Friesian ended up sixth, Myatt Snutter, Jesse Little, Grant Enfinger, and Austin Dillon driving for Young Motorsports uh, and rounded out your top ten. But I want to say, you know, the, the big story of the day was Kyle Busch. Uh, Kyle led 67 of the 133 laps, if you can believe that. But on a late race pit stop, uh, there were some problems on the front end of the race, on, on the front tire. Uh, they had some problems. It was real slow. Um, and they called an audible, which Kyle said he heard the crew chiefs tell him go. Uh, and the right rear tire, the rear tire changer was around on the left side of the car and took the lug nuts off the left rear tire. Kyle went out on, out on the racetrack uh, with the left rear tire lug nuts off. The left rear tire fell off the car, truck. He had to back up, go back, and pit. Uh, and it cost him a lap, and Kyle Busch ended up in the 21st position, and then not a factor at the end of the race where Brett Moffitt held off Noah Gregson and Johnny Sauter at the end of that thing, but a kind of a wild finish to the to the race, uh, but I want to give credit where credit is due, and I know he didn't lead a lot of laps, but Brett Moffitt wins. He's a kid who um, I feel sorry for. You know, he had a really good race at Atlanta a couple of years ago in a 55 car for Michael Waltrip Racing in a Cup Series. He finished eighth. Didn't get that 55 car when Vickers was out for a while. That went to David Reagan. Um, and then ran a 34 car, did a decent job there. Then last year went to uh, Red Horse Racing after winning a race the year before. And six races in, the ride shut down on him. Uh, so he kept his fingers in it, running at BK Racing. Looked like he was going to go into this offseason without a ride until Ryan Truex moved to the Xfinity Series, got into the 16 car truck for Shiggy Atori, and man, goes out there and wins at a really, really tough racetrack. He was a top five truck all day, and at the end, when it counted, uh, really pulled off and, and won, and a huge win for Brett Moffitt, and he's locked into the playoffs in a truck series. Not a feel-good story yesterday um, for that team and for Brett Moffitt. Yeah, I think uh, Brett Moffitt reminds me a lot of uh, somebody we reviewed in the offseason. He reminds me a lot of Stephen Light, where Brett Moffitt had success early and was – Coming up through the ranks, you thought he was going to be in a solid ride when he was deemed by Michael Waltrip as somebody he thought was going to be a stud. Was bring him up through the system, and then Michael Waltrip's thing fell apart when Rob Kaufman said, "I'm tired of spending money for a team that I'm not sure I believe in." So he went and spent his money with Chip Ganassi. Um, same thing with running at Red Horse last year. It was so sad to see him and Timothy Peters, who were both running very well for Red Horse Racing, and the funding went away. And Tom DeLoach said, hey, I just can't afford this anymore. Um, and it was nice to see him get that ride with Hattori Racing and get the win. And it wasn't that he fell into the win where somebody crashed out and he was in fourth place. He made a move to get there to the lead. I mean, he passed people on the green-white checker to get there I mean, on the last restart to get the lead and win the race. It wasn't like he backed into it. 
Brett Moffat is a great feel-good story out of this. Um, and I hope like hell he ends up continuing to move forward because Brett Moffat has been competitive when he's been in competitive stuff. Absolutely. I can't agree more with that. And, and um, you know, it was a great race run by Sauter. Gregson had a decent day as well. But I want to give a call out to a, a kid running his own, his own uh, really his own team, um, going to run part-time this year. And that was Jesse Little. I mean, this was a kid who um, only run, is only running 10 races in the truck series, I believe, this year. And he went out there and ran in the top five. He finished eighth. And sort of like what we talked about today with Larson and with Amarola, he finished eighth, but he should have probably finished a little bit better than that. He was in the top five all night long yesterday. Um, a very impressive run for Jesse Little. I was very – I was impressed. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, this was a kid who um, – his dad is Chad Little, if you're not familiar with it, but um, former cup driver from Wa- the state of Washington. But Jesse, you know, I didn't expect much from that team. I sit there and go – they got old Brad Kislowski racing uh, chassis. They got – sure, they're using the spec engine. Okay, he'll f- probably finish in the top 15, maybe occasionally get a top 10. But he was up there out running some big-time teams yesterday. Uh, and for him to do that with the stuff he was in – uh, I was overly, overly impressed. A very nice run for Jesse Little. And that's something maybe, that, John, with these spec engines, um, you know, where a team like Jesse Little, who couldn't maybe last year could not afford a big-time engine program, goes out there and uh, runs in the top 10, top 5 all day and proves that, hey, if you give me a little bit of horsepower that's at least close to what these other teams have, I can run very good. Uh, and I think he did a very good job yesterday proving that. Yeah, I think so as well. Um there's some good hot shoes coming up through the ranks there. Um, Myatt Snyder was respectable, and we were worried about him thinking that just because his dad's Marty and he wound up getting some money behind him. I mean, especially when Kyle Busch had him in the developmental series last year as part of the rotation in the 51 truck, and he wasn't invited back this year. We were sort of wondering if, okay, maybe he's in over his head and somebody's going to do, um, but he ran respectable. He wound up with a top 10 finish. Um, Noah Gregson, I think he's going to be solid. He's in Kyle Busch equipment, but I mean, one of the things I'm impressed with was look at how Matt Crafton ran is going through the same thing that Stuart Haas did last year. This, and they did it a lot later. It's not like they did it, did it going into the season, knowing it was going to be a, they were going to be a Ford team. They did not announce they were going to Ford till January. And they're turning stuff around fast. And Crafton was competitive all day long. Yeah, and so was Ben Rhodes, his teammate. Ben Rhodes, uh, I think he was better than Crafton at times yesterday. And, and Rhodes and Snatters with that Thor Sport team as well. You talked about him earlier. Uh, Grand Enfinger as well. They All four of them finished in the top ten. So a very impressive day um, for Thor Sport Racing. But, you know, Ben Rhodes is a kid who um, he's really starting to shine. He did a nice job again yesterday. Um and another guy I want to give a call out to, a smaller guy, a smaller team, is Joe Nemechek. And I know Joe is a cup winner. He's won four races in a cup series. And you say, yeah, you know, he's running against people who, um, you know, aren't that great and, and aren't that talented. But right now he sits ninth in the points. He finished third, I believe it was, at Daytona. Uh, finished 12th yesterday in the truck series race. So he sits ninth in the standings. I know it's only two races in, but um, for a guy who – a lot of people kind of sit there and go, well, it's a solo truck operation, running his own deal. Very impressive run yesterday for Joe Nemechek as well. He was he was in the top 10 for a little bit of part of the day as well. So I give him credit. I think he's, uh, you know, he could be a championship contender here maybe um, in this truck series 
with this team now. He's got to finish in the top eight and win. But if he can get the trucks and some money behind him, he can absolutely win the championship, I think. Um, so, hey, you know, it'd be cool to see a sort of a veteran guy who is uh, in his 50s going against these young kids in the truck series. It'd be cool to see that battle. Um, sort of like Bobby Hamilton from about 10, 15 years ago uh, to, to battle in the championship in a truck series against these guys. I think it'd be really cool to see that. I really like the, I like Joe Nemechek always have. Um, one of the things you look at with Joe, he basically took a back seat to make sure he can get his son going um, and use his own money, probably mortgage his house three, four different times to keep Nemco Motorsports going. So John Hunter had a chance to get moving. And John Hunter had a good season in the trucks last year and has parlayed that into a part-time ride with Ganassi. And those trucks are there. I mean, it's not like you can sell them and make a mint off of saying, okay, I've got this old race truck that John Hunter Nemechek ran. Joe's probably using the same stuff from last year, probably has the same seven guys coming over to the house every week and putting the truck together. But they're competitive trucks, and Joe is not a bad driver. And he knows how to get around most of these tracks. He's been around them all before. I think Joe Nemechek, if he's able to run the full season, will be someone to watch out for when it comes championship time. I think he'd make the final eight, and I think he would be somebody who's – Joe's not going to tear up equipment because he knows how much it costs him. So if he has a 15th yeah. place truck, guess what? He's finishing 15th. He's not going to try to do something stupid to finish 14th. He'll say, I got a 15th place truck. Guess what? 15th still pays. I need that money yeah. to put into the truck for next week. Absolutely, and he's run this – his own team for a while, you know, he ran cup for a while with his own team. And back in the nineties ran, uh, Xfinity and ran cup, his own cup deal, even in the, in the 87 Burger King car, uh, Nimco. So Nimco has been around for a while. He knows what he's doing as far as the budget is concerned. So yeah, I think he can absolutely contend for a championship. Something interesting out of the truck series yesterday. I want to get your opinion on, we talked about Kyle Busch earlier, his situation. Um, apparently that was a sort of a Stuart Haas pit crew. I think it was Clint Boyer's tire changer um, and a, the tire carrier might've been a Stuart Haas guy as well, but a very um, interesting deal because the tire changer gets suspended. If a wheel falls off. Now I read Bob Pockers's tweet and that's where I'm giving credit to is Pockers Cause he's on top of this stuff. It's really up to interpretation um, as far as what NASCAR wants to do with this loose wheel situation they put in the rule uh last year two years ago where if your wheel falls off um on the racetrack it's an automatic suspension for i think it's a three-race suspension for the crew chief uh a, a three-race suspension for the tire carrier and a three-race suspension for the tire changer i believe that's what it is something to that nature um and a couple of those guys were Stuart Haas cup guys the uh the rule is three race for the crew chief three race for the jackman because the jackman's responsible jackman. for right. the truck and the yep. tire change would be the third one who gets the three races. And the Jackman, Ernie Pierce, is from Clint Boyer's team. And the tire changer, uh, Coleman Dollarod, is from Kurt Busch's team. And I guess it was something going on where either normally Kyle Busch runs a Joe Gibbs pit crew. But I guess something happened during the Xfinity race or something where he needed a couple people. So they got those two guys to fill in for Kyle Busch's team. Um, if I'm Tony Stewart and I'm Gene Haas, and I'm paying these guys what I'm paying them to be crew. I mean, be crew members on my team. You are not crewing for. You're not doing something for anybody who is not a Stuart Haas team, because 
this could end up costing Clint Boyer his jackman for the next three weeks. It could end up costing uh, Kurt Busch's tire changer. But according to Pockris, the story he had on ESPN.com, the rule states, uh, any loss or separation in a, in, of an inappropriately installed tires or wheels from the vehicle after exiting the team's assigned pit box will result in a three-race suspension. But NASCAR has the wiggle room for interpretation of the intent of the rule and suspensions. Bush's wheel fell off because lug nuts were loosened before he left pit road, but the wheel that came off wasn't actually changed. So, again, like you said, they made an audible on pit road where Kyle Bush thought he said go, and he took off while the thing was while the, after the lug nuts were taken off. It'll be interesting to see what the uh, the boys in Daytona Beach at the Palace end up deciding on this one. And if I'm Stuart Haas, I'm appealing automatically because this has nothing to do with Stuart Haas racing. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how NASCAR plays that. No doubt about it. Um, and it, it's it's got to be frustrating from their standpoint because you know you want your guys to uh, go out there and make some extra money on a weekend. You can understand what they're trying to do. They make a living too. Um, and you sit there and you're trying to say, hey, um, you know, I don't blame you guys for doing that and getting a little bit more extra reps with the with the five men pit crew. But boy, oh boy, that could that is a you know. Like like Happy Gilmore says on Happy Gilmore, talks talk about your all time backfires. Uh, that one for sure would be a big time backfire for Stuart Haas Racing. Oh man, and 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 I feel bad for uh, Marcus Richmond, who's a crew chief for that co- truck. You know, it's his first race working with Kyle Busch, who's a very intimidating, I'm sure, a very intimidating presence. Uh, I know he's and he's a truck, he's the owner of that team as well. So you got to be you feel sorry for Marcus Richmond there, um, who made I think a. A little bit of a of a nerve wracking call. Tried to sit there and go, hey, um, you know, go 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 because he knew he was going to lose the race. And I want to say this, you know, no matter if the wheel came off or not, Kyle wasn't winning that race with two tires. There's no way. I mean, I know it was green white checkered and, and I know it was Kyle Busch, but he wasn't going to win that race either way with two tires with how much tires fall off at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So um, yeah, it was a bad mistake, but to say it cost Kyle a race, um, what really cost Kyle a race was the front tire changer. Uh, taking, you know, is messing up there, and uh, that, that's what really cost Kyle a race. Because if he took two tires there, I, I personally would take it four and said, "Let's go with it," because you're not going to win that race on two tires, no doubt about it. Especially in Atlanta. I mean, like there's human tires flat. So you you taking the shine off the tire before you get out of pit road, and then by the time you do the couple pace laps around, you've taken a good bit off of it. I mean, you look the tire run, they dropped four seconds. So just think in the three laps, I mean, you've seen people stay out at Atlanta, and no matter what, they're sitting ducks. The new tires are everything to a driver in Atlanta. And, yeah, the front tire changer, whenever it took him a while, and he, he struggled getting the lug nuts off and getting them back on with the – that cost him the race. But, I mean – what really cost him the race other than that is you drop the truck and you lose the wheel. You end up, you end up in 21st instead of in third or fourth. And I think if they still go in around and change four tires and you put Kyle Busch sixth or seventh with two laps to go in Atlanta with who he's running against Kyle Busch is sort of like, um, Earnhardt used to be when you saw the black car coming up behind you, you sort of puckered up a little bit. 
and you knew you didn't know what was going to happen. Kyle Busch can find ways to get around you. Nah, that's true. You're right about that. No doubt about it. Um, and I think, you know, personally, I just don't think with with the two tires on, he would be able to hold off anybody um, there at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, talking of circles tonight, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you. Um, next week, John, we got a uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, another triple header weekend, uh, three in a row to start the season off. Um, Cup Series on Sunday, Saturday, the uh, Xfinity Series, and the Friday night truck race as well. So that's a lot of fun. Um, that's a, it's another triple header weekend. Las Vegas is a track where when we first started going there in the first five, six years after, I didn't care for it. You know, it was a track that I thought was very boring, but recently I think it's gotten, you know, they made some changes. I think it's gotten a little bit more racier there at Las Vegas motor speedway. Um, I'm curious to see what the crowd's going to be like this week for these three races, because it's a doubleheader weekend. It's a, it's a, they got two races there for all three series um, at Las Vegas this year for the first time ever. And I'm really curious to see what the crowd is going to be like at Las Vegas this weekend, because will the fans support two weekends? Um, And so I'm curious to see that, but what do you think we're going to see at Las Vegas? Uh, What kind of racing we're going to see? And and just give us a little bit of preview um, for Las Vegas motor speedway next week. I think this is the week we find out what Chevy's really got because they have tested on it. They have notes on this with the Camaro. They went out with the individual team tests and figured out what um, they can and can't do with the Chevy. I mean, Chase Elliott was the one who tested for Hendrick Motorsports. And Alan Gustafson has a great notebook uh, that he'll be able to share with Chad Canal, Starian Grubb, and Greg Ives to make sure Hendrick isn't sitting there 10th, 15th, 20th, 25th place cars. Um, so this is where we're going to find out what Chevy really has up their, up their sleeve when it comes to the Camaro. Um, it's Truex. You got to count him in for this because it's the mile and a half like it was last year. The regular mile and a half where it isn't a beat up track. But the one thing I see, don't count out Harvick. I think um, the way last year went and how Cole Pern and Martin Truex got every stage point known to man and every uh, they won so many laps so many races and led so many laps. I think people learn from that. You don't think Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick haven't taken a look at it. Now that they have the year of notes under their belts, when it comes to the Ford, I think it's going to be a battle between Harvick, Truex, Keselowski is going to be up there, but we're going to have to see what Chase Elliott, and Jimmy Johnson can do on behalf of Hendrick. Cause if um, Hendrick is not competitive this week, this could be going back to the drawing board on the Xfinity side. I really, really, really like what John Hunter Nemechek's doing. I don't know if he's in it this week or if it's Larson in this week, but I really like seeing what John Hunter Nemechek's going to be able to do in that um, Ganassi car. Um, I really like the move of Daniel, uh, I mean, how Junior Motorsports is running. Yeah, Daniel Hemrick, he's running the Junior Motorsports car this year. Um, how, Tyler how well that? Oh, I'm sorry, Tyler Reddick, how he's done in the nine car. I mean, he, had an, he had a tire issue yesterday. In Atlanta, but I mean, I think he ran great at Daytona. You're going to see him run well. Elliott Sadler's consistent as can be in that one car. Um, and then you've got whoever's going to be, whichever one of the cup drivers will be driving a 22 for uh, Team Penske. Penske. Those ones you watch out for when it comes to um, the Xfinity Series. In the Truck Series, Christopher Bell until somebody proves otherwise. He, I mean, I'm not. I'm sorry, Chris, Christopher Bell's not in it this year. Brain dead. 
Um, look out for somebody in the Cowboys Motorsports. Whoever is – Noah Gregson's going to be in there. Um, he's going to be a stud. Watch out for Kyle Busch Motorsports. They're always good. But I really, really think uh, Thor Sport is showing something with the Ford. They've changed things all around really fast. And you're using the crate engine to make sure that they're able to do it faster, better. And the more they get notes under their belts with that truck, they're going to be ended up doing better for Thor Sport. Oh, I agree. And I think when you look at the Cup Series event, you touched on a, a couple of really good points. One is we're definitely going to figure out what the Chevrolet has. And I'm curious on, on two things. One, how the Ford's going to react. Because you talked about Atlanta, and you're right on the fact that it's a different type of racetrack. It's a different type of mile and a half. So if the Fords are going to struggle in a mile and a half this year, Atlanta's not really a good uh, parameter as far as that's concerned. Las Vegas is. And the other thing I'm curious on is how these teams approach this, at least the four car. Remember, Las Vegas has two dates, as I said earlier, for the first time ever. Not only do they have two dates, but this is a, a playoff race. Now you have to wonder what is Harvick's game plan? What is Rodney Childers' game plan for Las Vegas? Because they know they're going to be running for the playoffs there at Las Vegas Motor Speedway when it comes chase time in September. So they're going to be sitting there going, okay, we know we got our win in their back pocket. Do we want to try something to, in, in really uh, preparation for September? Do we want to sit here and say, is this what we want to do? Um, or do we want to go out there and get as many stage points as possible and try and win these races and, and do what the, the 78 did and not let what happened to the 78 where he had such a big lead by the time the regular season ended with stage points, nobody could catch him. And he, and he really took that and made the Final Four for that. I'm curious to see if these teams will learn from what the 78 car did last year and will try and run every race like they're, like they're going to win it. Or if, if this four car is going to sit there and go, let's, you know, we know the Fords are going to be out there struggling on a mile and a half. Let's try and get our notebook. Let's try and, and figure out what we can do for the September race at Las Vegas. So we're competitive there come chase time. I'm very curious to see how uh, particularly that four car and, and, uh, and maybe even a three car goes out there and tries to, um, you know, how they prepare for Las Vegas Motor Speedway because both of them are locked into the playoffs. I can see the three-car experimenting. I can't see the four-car doing it, especially with what the four-car did at Texas at the end of the season last year. Uh, like Kevin Harvick said, after they won at Texas, we finally got our arms around the thing. And we were able to come out, and you saw Harvick pass Truex and pull away from him. That's something you did not see all season last year. I think Harvick and the Roddy Childers and that team, I think they're going to take their notes from what Truex did. They're going to try to get as many stage points as they can. They're going to try to get as many wins as they can. And you thought, I mean, we talked about it whenever they started the playoffs last year. Truex had so many playoff points, it would take two blown engines for him not to make it to Homestead. And I think everybody's going to take note of that and try to make sure that they do the same thing. I agree. I think what Truex did last year was an eye-opening experience for a lot of these teams even like the 48 who usually, you know, we see when he won the championship a couple of times where you say, well, they kind of go through a September, uh, a summer where they kind of test. And uh, I think that's going to change the game and change everybody's, you know, uh, how they prepare for the playoffs come playoff time. Uh, John Holler, you were amazing tonight. Again, like always, if you liked what you heard tonight in talking in circles, be sure to like our Facebook page, like us on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back here again on Wednesday talking, previewing, more of, of Las Vegas. Uh, we'll also be talking about the news of the week and, and whatever you want to talk about on Talking Circles. So um, 
Be here Wednesday night on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.